We'll get started here tonight. Um, we have been working our way through the book of First Peter. We'll be rounding out the fifth chapter tonight. And we know that Peter is such an interesting character. We like to see what he has to say. Last week we talked about him, uh, his mistakes, and of course his chapter last week was much about suffering. Tough thing to cover. It's certainly not a popular chapter. Nobody goes and says, hey, I want to learn about uh, 1 Peter 4 the first time they walk up. But it is certainly something, and we'll see a little bit more, a few more clues in why it's important. Okay? So let's begin in 1 Peter chapter number 5 as we start out in verse number 1. And we're going to start out and we're going to pick on the leaders tonight. All right? Pick on the leaders, because I guess that's a good place to start with. Pick on the leaders to start. And that's what Peter has done in this chapter when he begins it out. And we're going to see what he says. Verse number 1 of chapter 5, 1 Peter. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. All right. So if you've been around people, if you've worked in different places or been in groups, you've always seen different types of leaders. And if you know uh, that you've been around them, the question is, what makes a good leader? Well, we're going to look at that. For a couple of verses tonight, we're going to see what makes a good leader. We're going to see uh, what makes not a good leader, too. And probably, if you spent any time in the workforce, you've been with a lot of bad leaders out there. Okay, You've no doubt had your fair share of people that like to put you down or like to do things their own way. All right, And Peter is talking about... A group of leaders that he that refers to as the elders. Okay? The elders. And we're going to get a little bit more into this as we, as we look. But the elders are essentially a group of leaders, not necessarily just pastors, although this can involve pastors as well, but anybody who is in leadership in a, in a church, okay? And there's lots and lots of ways to lead in a church. There are those terms that we don't necessarily use like deacons and things. We do have elders in our church, okay? We also have uh, a pastor in our church. We have trustees in our church. We have a secretary in our church, Okay, we have treasurer. Those are all people that have positions of leadership. Okay, and there's an expectation as a leader that you do something. And Peter kind of led the group of apostles in many ways. Okay, and he often took charge of that group of apostles, and it was him. On the first day of Pentecost that stood up and had fantastic sermon, okay, and went from beginning to end and told the whole story of what happened. And people 
fell down on their knees uh, and turned their lives over to God. You know, there were tongues of fire. It, it was tremendous time. But here's this great leader, Peter, who kind of steps down with everybody out there that's not important, okay? Because Peter could have said, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy, pretty big deal. I walked with Jesus. And he does say that. But he says, you know what? We're all together in this. Because when I stand with you as a leader, I'm just here trying to do my part, my job. That's all I'm trying to do. And he says, me, I'm an elder too. I'm just a, a guy that should be helping out this church. And I'm helping you out in this way. We're writing this letter, trying to connect with you out there, with you people that have been dispersed around uh, the world at the time. Okay, So we're going to look at what makes a good leader. And here is that, that thing that we talked about last week. Suffering. Okay? Suffering. The big question that is always is it, why should I have to suffer? Why should I have to suffer? And Peter is going to talk about that a little bit. What keeps a leader going even when there's hardship and suffering? Things that. Uh, drag them down and whack them out of, like try to just whack at them a little bit. Sometimes Satan goes right after a leader and sometimes it's just our own faults uh, that we struggle at and sometimes the people go after a leader. All right, And so we're going to look at these leaders. We're looking at a little bit of what happens. What is it that takes to be a good leader? All right. He's also, uh, he said, I am, the part, I am an elder in there, in verse 1, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says, so here it is, I'm with you, okay? I'm with you in that I'm just here trying to do my job, but I'm also going to be with you in heaven someday, Okay? And that gives you the clue of where he starts to say, if a leader can't think that way, then he'll never make it. All right. Why are you going to live through suffering in your life? Because you have to think from another perspective. A crazy perspective. Not like normal people think. Okay. Verse number two. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. All right? So here's the thing. If you're going to be a leader, a good leader, the very thing you need to think of first is your people. And this is true in a church but it's also true in any leadership position. Whomever and wherever you are, wherever you get to be a leader, if you are a leader, if you think of your people first, you know what's going to happen? They're going to disappoint you. And they're going to fail you. And you're going to be shocked at some of the things they say to you. 
But if you learn to love them as people, you will also find that you can grow and you become a better leader and God will actually give you the strength to keep going. All right? So as you look, you're there to feed sheep. Okay? You're there to feed sheep. As a pastor, that's your main job as a pastor or a leader is to feed the sheep. You need to care about your people and where they stand with God's word. That's why in this church we do an emphasis, okay? It's on purpose that we have a Tuesday night Bible study, okay? And that we pick books of the Bible and we dig right through them. And we, if you stick around long enough, you get through after a while, okay? If you stay around and you listen long enough, you'll dig through book after book after book after book, okay, of the Bible. You'll understand more. It brings about maturity. Here's the thing with a shepherd. Now, this, uh, my family and I traveled, um, we took our big western trip. We traveled 7,500 miles, okay? It's a long trip, and we flew about 5,000 on a plane, hopping all over the place. And then we rented a car and went another 2,500 miles in a car, which is a long way. But out west, you look around at the territory, and unless if you're in a very specialized place, it is very dry. Much of it is desert-like. Lots of sagebrush. It's not like you necessarily think of the great Rocky Mountains, okay? There's a very dry, dry part. There are small patches around those mountains that are green. Up the one side of the mountain, as the moisture comes across from the west of the United States, it drops all the moisture on the one side of the mountain. So you get little draws up the mountain, little shaded places, small places where all that moisture drops, gets over the peak of the mountain, and the other side's desert. And that is the way that the people in the Middle East had been living their whole lives. They looked for those little tiny draws those little valleys where there was the special green grass. If you're a shepherd, you're not going to take your flock and wander out into the middle of the big dry open plain. You're going to look for that very special little deep places. And they might be tough to get to. They might be a little hard on you to get down there and maybe a little hard on your sheep. But if you can get there... You're going to get much more out of it. And that's where the nourishment comes from. That's what to understand about feeding. When, when a leader in a church looks about feeding their sheep. It's not all about the easy answers. You'd like to be able to say, yep, God's going to do this and this and this. But really, I don't know what God's going to do in your life. I have no idea. You might have tragedy you might have joy you might have success you might have failure but i do know this that if i'm a leader i'm called to walk you to the places where the greenest grass is 
when you're in the middle of it. And a lot of times that's walking right with you down into the lowest, deepest valley. The hardest to get to place. But when you've gotten there and you eat from that toughest to get to valley, you come out nourished in a way that you never could by just going to the easy outskirts. So as a shepherd, as a person who leads, a leader is looking to bring their sheep, even in the hard times. Now nobody's looking for people to have hard times. But when they come, that is the time of greatest growth. Internal growth. It's been an important part of our church. A very important part of our church to always teach the word. And I've said that. But it's been so important that no matter what happened since COVID hit this world, we were going to do our best to connect and feed people. Wherever they were, however they were, we're going to get them out across the street. We're going to stand in the pouring rain. We're going to do it if it had to snow. We're going to find a way with technology. We're going to do anything we can do to get the word out to our people, wherever they are. Because that is what we're here to do. We have to. And no matter what roadblocks are thrown in the way, keep going. Keep going. Keep feeding them. Keep feeding them. It's funny, I was... One time, uh, I was at a church and there was only three or four people in there and I was asked to go preach wasn't a lot of people and they said well you're probably not going to teach today and I said well I heard an old story one time from an old preacher who had he was ready and standing up there and one farmer walked in sat down in the front pew and the farmer and the preacher said to the farmer well I guess we don't have to have church it's just you And he said, well, I got cows, he said, at home. And if only one cow shows up, I still feed him. (laughs) So it doesn't really matter. It's not about the numbers. It is about the job that we do. Now, we're very fortunate to have folks out there that are in great positions to help us out, to get us on camera and out online and all the things that we're doing to help spread that. But... The idea is we can't quit with this. We can't quit. We keep teaching. We teach our teenagers. We teach our little kids because they need it as much or maybe more than we do some days. They're going to have the world we live in plus a whole lot more tough times ahead. Those kids. So we need it. We always need to be fed, constantly fed. So that's one big thing is feed the sheep. That's what we're here to do. Feed the sheep. That's what you're looking for. So if you're looking for a pastor, you better find one that does that. One of the next things he says is you need to look for a pastor which is taking oversight Thereof, So he's looking over people, not by constraint, but willingly. 
A good shepherd, a good leader, someone who's leading the flock is not forced. But he wants to. He does not dread every Sunday. He doesn't dread every time you teach. It's work and it's effort to get there. And he's got to do all that work before he stands up to do it. But he wants to do it. And that's going to be what makes a good leader. Not forced. Nor does he force his people. He's just working because he wants to do it. And it says, not for filthy lucre. Okay? Not for filthy lucre. Alright, we don't really use that old English anymore. Not for filthy lucre. Uh, but what that means is not for money, not for power, not for position. He's not doing it to be the important guy, the big man on campus. He's doing it for another reason. If you got a pastor that just wants to do it for the money or the power or the position or the fame, watch out. That's not the kind of guy you want. He's got to have another world that he's thinking about. A good leader is thinking about a whole other world. He's thinking about... I'm going to be in heaven. I've got something else to live for. And I've got something way more to die for. So be aware if you have a pastor that's looking out uh, for money or position or fame. And you can be grateful in this place. You've got nothing. You can pay him nothing. <laughs> right? <laughs> so he's not looking for money, that's for sure. Because <laughs> he's not getting any. So that's a good thing. And that's a choice. By choice. So that there's never a temptation. Okay? And that's a good thing. Just say, I, I just don't want it. I don't want that to be the reason that I do it. I want to do it because I want to do it. I'm willing. And so not for filthy, filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. A ready mind. Prepared. Spends the time in the word. Because if you don't spend the time in the Word, then you can tell. If you don't spend the time working at preparing for a lesson, you can tell. It's important to do that. It's important that we have someone who is not forced, but he wants to. Someone who has a ready mind to go at it. And who feeds the sheep. That's a really important piece of being a leader. Peter knows that. And he knows that there are hundreds and even thousands. There will be thousands upon thousands of small little places like this. Places of 
no renown. The world will come and go after a little place like this comes and goes. But God looks amongst all of those small places. He knows where there are faithful people. And he knows where there are faithful leaders. He is careful to make sure that they're put in those places. Okay? That's an important part. Now, if you look at the opposite, what the world wants, the world, for a good leader, says everything opposite. You rule by force. You rule by power. You rule by influence, money, and position. I get what I want out of leading you, and I use you as my subjects. And that's what the world does. You give me your money, and I use it how I want. That's how they define power. You might see that in positions where you see whether it's place of work or whether it's in government. There are people out there in lots of places who look for those things. They want the power. They want the money. But that's not what God does. He looks for truthful people that are there willingly to do it, of a ready mind, prepared to feed his sheep. That's what he wants. Simple. It's simple. Verse number three. Neither being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. All right? So, an ensample is another word for an example. You can kind of replace that. An example just means that you are going to be the first. You're going to walk through. You're going to get down there and pick up a shovel next to somebody else because nothing is too good for you. You're not too good for anything else. You can stand there and work next to somebody and be an example that... We've just got to get this done, so let's work together. That's the type of leadership God wants, and it works everywhere. When you use that kind of leadership in a job, in a position, and you just say, I'm going to get there and help you. I'm going to stand next to you and try to get things done with you. Okay, That works for people. People flock to that. Okay? Because it's God's principle. That's why it works. It's simple. God said, this is how a real leader works. You think about Jesus Christ. He was the greatest leader ever to live. He gave his entire life, every ounce of it, to the people around him. Leading, teaching, helping, healing, working for other people, doing things for them, he was constantly being drawn from. Every town he went to, he healed sometimes hundreds of people. Sometimes the whole town he healed. But that was all him. He just did it to help, to work, to bring people there, and ultimately put himself in that position where he would die for his people. All right? He's the ultimate leader to look at. Constantly a servant. He said, you want to be a lord of all, then be a servant. 
Don't try to make your position and say, I'd say this, so you do it. Don't use it that way. Be an example. Now, here's the problem with being a leader, a shepherd, and there's a reason Peter picks out shepherds, okay? Because he says, the sheep are who you lead. Now, I've known some folks that have had some sheep, and, well, sheep aren't always the most brilliant animals out there. In fact, there was one uh, person that I know who had a sheep, and that sheep was tied up to a pen, to the side of a pen. And they were just simply for a few minutes cleaning out this pen. And he had the halter tied up to the pen, and the sheep thought, I don't want to be here. And so he pulled, and he pulled, and he pulled. And he pulled. Now you think, okay, well, that's dumb, isn't it? You just pull and it hurts you more, right? And yes, that's what sheep do. Except that wasn't quite enough because the more he pulled, the more uncomfortable he was. And so he pulled harder because that's opposite of what you should do, right? <laughs> right? And that's how sheep are, right? He pulled harder and he pulled harder and he pulled harder and then he sort of flipped over. And he died. Killed himself. Choked himself to death. And that is just dumb. Okay? That is just dumb. But there is a reason why Peter picks sheep. Why God picks sheep as an example for humans. Because that sheep wasn't wrong no matter what. Right? I am going to figure out a way to get out of this. And I'm going to pull harder, harder, and harder, and harder until I make happen what I need to happen. Never worked. It never worked. He was so stubborn, he killed himself. He had no idea that the, that the owner was just trying to clean the pen out and make it a nicer place for him. And all he could think of is, I've got to get out of this thing. I don't like what's happening to me. Isn't that our case so often? That's all we can think of. I can't think of anything else. When I get my mind stuck on something, it stays there and it stays there. And I get more frustrated with what's happening to me. And I can't think anything else except what's happening to me right now. And I want out. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. And I want out. And if the sheep had the ability to step back for just a moment and look at this situation and maybe just use an ounce of common sense, the sheep would say, if I step one step forward, oh, that's better. Right? <laughs> All of a sudden, he'd be okay. But that's not the way the sheep was, nor is it the way humans are. We get more and more stubborn. We get more and more uh, hard-headed about things, and we say, I know what the problem is, and I'm going to fix it. When oftentimes God is doing something so much bigger, and all we can see is this little tiny thing in front of us, and I'm focusing on it, and I'm looking at it, and I can't believe it's happening in my life, and I want out of this. 
Now, I'm not trying to demean any hardship in people's lives. I'm just saying that we get so focused, like a sheep, that we cannot look around us. Now, when the Holy Spirit is in us, the Good Shepherd is leading us, he helps us to see. Despite our own desires to pull and get out, and we would pull and get out till we die. Okay? That would be us. So that brings another little bit of challenge to being a leader. When you're a shepherd and people are just plain stubborn. I've had the opportunity to do a few leadership things in my life, a few positions, and my best approach that I've ever found personally, I've had some people that just were not getting what I was trying to tell them. They weren't getting the idea of where I was coming from. All they kept saying is, I can do this, I can do this. And I was trying to convey to them, I don't even think you're looking at the right thing from the right angle. We're not trying to worry about that. We're looking at this bigger picture. You could tell them. You could talk to them. You could write it down. You can emphasize every day. But until you get out and go and do it and be an example as a leader, it doesn't change. And guess what? I had a particular individual uh, who I won't name who was very stubborn about things. And it took four years for them to notice the change. <laughs> I did the same thing for four years. And then finally they I see them start doing it. Like, hey, look at you. You did it. You got it. That was an example. That's great. That's really all I wanted you to do was just step back a little and look at it from a different perspective. Do it this way. But you could never tell them that because we're all like sheep. We all know better. I got a better idea. I'm going to keep pulling on this thing until I get out. <laughs> Doesn't work out well for the sheep. All right? So we need a person who will walk as an example for us. We need a person who's not going to lord it over us. All right? There was an interesting story I heard. Just to give you a perspective about how important it is to have a leader that you think can guide you. It's an important thing. There was a story about a man who was on an airplane, and he was a blind man. He was sitting on an airplane, and he had taken off on a flight, and he had a seeing-eye dog with him. And Pilot got over the, the plane, says we're going to take a short layover in such and such a city. They touched down. Apparently this man, <clears throat> this blind man, had flown before in this, with this pilot or on this airline often enough where he'd seen him a few times. And the pilot said, you're allowed to get off the plane. We're going to be here for uh, whatever, an hour and a half or whatever. Um, you can get off and go and do what you want be back on, you're going to have to board back through. 
and uh, Pilate came out after the plane was empty, but the blind man was still sitting there with his seeing-eye dog. And uh, he looked at the blind man and said, uh, do you need to get up? Do you need to go out? Uh, I can help you. He said, no, I'm really okay. I really don't want to get up. And he thought for a second. He said, you know what? It would be nice if you could take my dog out. He really could use a little walk. So Pilate was a great man. Took that seeing-eye dog, grabbed him by that leech, all marked up. Everybody saw it was that. And he walked out into the airport as a pilot. Put on his sunglasses, of course, because he thought, <laughs> and he's walking around in his pilot hat and pilot suit with a seeing eye dog all around the airline uh, terminal. <laughs> People changed their flights. <laughs> they thought, I don't want to get back on that plane. <laughs> So it is all about perspective. What you think your leader can do, okay, you, it is important to have a leader who knows and has vision, who can see things. It's that important. So Peter emphasizes it and addresses it and looks at some of those things. And he says, now here's the thing to understand. You're going to have a leader out there, and not everybody's going to be perfect. But the next verse is going to tell you, verse number four is going to tell you something important. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, that is Jesus, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The chief shepherd. Because in other words, really, we're all just sheep. Okay? But there is a chief shepherd who has some... Uh, under shepherds that he leaves in charge of bits of flock here and there and he says I'll be back I'm going to tell you how to do this and I'm going to make sure you make sure you follow what I'm telling you to do because I'll be back those leaders will have to answer to the chief shepherd they will stand in front of the chief shepherd one day and they will answer for everything they did every opportunity they were given every opportunity they missed every challenge that was put before them and when they did great with their faith and when they didn't so so good with their faith they will stand in front of God and give a special account for being a leader. So be aware whether you're in any leadership position or as a sheep, wherever you fit in each place that you are in your life, be aware not to give a hard time, first of all, to the shepherd. Don't be one of those stubborn sheep, okay? But be one of those sheep that was helpful to their shepherd. Okay, that makes the day a little bit better for the shepherd. Because they will answer. So will every one of us. But they will have a special thing they answer for. For what they say to a group of people. Did you mislead them or did you lead them in the right direction? Did you spend enough time doing with the time that I gave you preparing? Were you of ready mind when you hit, the, when you hit those 
Bible studies, those sermons, those things out there, when you talk to those people, were you ready? Or were you not ready to answer? The chief shepherd's going to give you that. And here's what he says, because he's going to give you a crown of glory that will not fade away. Back in the times when they were, they were still doing the great games, okay, the great, one of the first Olympic games, and they would run races and do things like that. Of course, being the best in the world, if you ran the race and you were the best in the world, you got a laurel crown, some leaves on your head. <laughs> That's what you got. Lasted a week or two, maybe you could dry it and it would keep it aside. Peter says, if you're running this race, you're doing it for the big time. This is for one, a crown that will never fade away. It's not going to be little leaves that crumple up and fall off your head. This is going to be for eternity. This is why suffering is kept in mind with Peter in check. He said... It even is something we should be joyful about. Last week as we talked about it, suffering is something we should be joyful about. Not, a, not an easy thing to do. But in a new perspective, in the perspective that this world ends and our life is short and eternity never ends and we answer for what we did in this life, every one of us, then that perspective, the things happen here on earth, not as important as that crown that never fades away. What is so important here on earth will fade away. And I think this last year has been a really good learning year for a lot of people, including myself. What's important? What things in one day can change? And you say, eh, that really doesn't matter. I don't really care about that. And what other things you say, that's really important to me. That is what we look at, and you live your life in that sight. And we're short-sighted, and we forget, but that's why God said, get together regularly. Meet, get in my word, keep eating, keep feeding the sheep. Keep working at it so they keep having that perspective. Now, well, we gave it to the leaders, okay? Give it all we got, and there you what you got to do, though, leaders. I told you, I knew you can tell your pastor, you better read, right? <laughs> but then you better watch out after you do that, because Peter also says, here's what we have to do. All of us. Verse number 5. Starting with this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And all the people that are older are saying, whew, that one's not me. All right, well, we'll get back there. Yea, all of you subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. So, the younger submit to the elders. Here is one thing to be very careful of. Age does not give you wisdom always. 
Now, we hope it does, and we hope that we all learn, and we hope that we got it a little better than when we had it when 20 years ago in our life or 50 years ago in our life. But if you have something in your life that you've lived through, whether it was good or bad, consider striking up a conversation with a teenager or a young single person or a young couple. Help a family with kids. If you've got those things in your life, even things that you really don't love to share, think about sharing it with one of those people. I'm not saying you jump up in front of a group of a thousand people and tell them your life story, but there may be a person out there who needs to know the wisdom that you got from your life. Something hard you lived through, and you never want to live through it again, and you may not even want to talk about it, but you might be able to help that person, that young person, and just by befriending them, whether it's that young single person, a teenager, like I said, a young couple, somebody with a brand new baby. I mean, we've got all of them in our church. And you've got others in the, in the world around you, too. Strike up a friendship with somebody like that and use that elder position you have, the position of being older and wiser to help people. That's what we're required to do. Every one of us. Every one of us. Take that friend next to you. Take that kid next to you. You see that and you say, oh, teenagers, they're so, oh, they're terrible these days. Well, maybe you ought to pick one out and help them out. Maybe you ought to make a friend to one of them. There are a lot of people in this church that do that. I notice sometimes There'll be some kid that walks over, stands right over there, and talks to a a person. You say, wow, how'd that ever happen? Every week they go and they stand and talk to him because somebody makes an effort to reach out. It's the older person. That's the position you're given as an elder. Take an opportunity while you have it. It may not always be there. It may be for a short time in their life. And it may be the most influential thing you can do for them is just befriend them and give them a little bit of care. And you may have that opportunity to tell them something that you may never tell anybody else in your life. Don't waste something good that happened in your life or something bad that happened in your life. Don't waste it. God never meant to waste it. Use it. Use it as a a point in which you can help somebody else. So, when you say to the younger, submit yourselves to the elder, that means be somebody who they want to submit to, okay? Be somebody who they want to go to and that you spend a little bit of time just having a conversation with them, talking with them. Being a mentor for them, caring for them, showing that you have maturity and helping them with it. And then there's these other things. 
There's uniforms. Did you know that? We have a church uniform. You never even knew it, huh? I'll tell you, uh, when I came to the place I work at now, they had been in brown uniforms with brown shirts for around 40-some years. And I think some of those people still wore what they wore 40 years ago. <laughs> They're still using it because you can't quite see all of my T-shirt underneath there. Right? <laughs> we made a change, and I'm not... A uniform doesn't make all the difference, but at this particular point, we made a change. We picked some different colors. We were trying to say, we're, we're, we're going in a different direction. And so we did, and... Lots of people said, oh, I really like those new uniforms. Lots of other people that don't, didn't wear them, and the people that did wear them said, hey, they're comfortable. The point of why we did it was to show people who's a part of the team. They wear a uniform so that somebody can walk in, oh, that's somebody that can help me. All of my people, regardless of their position, wear the same uniform. They're wearing the same uniform because they're somebody that can help me. And that's what we wanted, was it to be a flag for the public, for the people that walk around. Oh, that's a guy that can help me. All right? The uniform that Peter says we have to have on is humility. Clothe yourself in humility. That means every one of us in the church should be able to go out amongst the world and people say, oh, that's somebody who's humble. That's somebody different. It should identify you as person that loves God. Humility. And that's hard to have. It's hard to wear all the time. Because a lot of us are a lot of strong personalities and we like to tell people when they're wrong. Right? But that's not really the truth, right? <laughs> that's really our, our perspective of who is wrong at the moment. Right? But Humility goes a long way. It's important. I'm going to say it. Social media is a great place to practice humility. Then that's all I got to say. <laughs> I'm not saying it happens, but I'm saying it's a good place to practice it. It's a good place to practice it. So people know who you are, who I am. Right? They know by our words. They know by our actions. And they should match. Next verse. Oh, I'm sorry. Same verse here. God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. Be aware of being a, pr a prideful person. Because God puts pressure on prideful people. Anybody that is filled with pride 
God resists them. And I'll tell you one being in the universe you don't want to resist you and your movements is God. You don't want to. He says he resists the proud, even his own sheep. Why is my life so hard? Why do I have to have this? Why do I get that? Why am I stumbling? Why am I doing this? Just check and make sure that pride isn't part of my problem. Because God resists the proud. And he says he gives grace to the humble. The people that wear humility all the time, he gives grace the humble. Verse number six. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. This is one to memorize. Because there will be many, 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 many times where you'll have an opportunity to be humble. I had a man one time whom I worked with he didn't like me. That's just the truth. He just didn't like me at all. For whatever number of reasons, I never did anything mean to him, nasty to him. I think we disagreed on some things. Um, but I never said anything outright to him. But he hated my guts. I'm quite sure. And... He would come and be very nice to my face. We would meet together and do things. Our jobs interacted many, many times. And it was my job often to serve him in position where he was. And we worked together on a lot of things. But I could always feel the constant undertow. The, if I could get you, I would. That's what... I got that message from him all the time. So finally, in one of his <clears throat> responsibility areas, I had a very big project that was pretty much mine um, for as far as responsibility goes. And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed against me, against me, against me. And this was a project that everybody in the whole organization knew about. We worked on it for an entire year to prepare for it, and it was a nine-month-long project, very involved with all of occupants and things, and the schedule was tight. By the day, we had everything all laid out. And he waited, and when he got to that opportunity, he took that opportunity. Within the first week, he came and shut my project down. He was waiting for the opportunity to spring a trap. And he did. And I did my very best, and I held my tongue with him, and I came over and asked him what his concerns were, even though we'd worked together for a year to prepare for it. And I went and had to explain to my boss why I was off track the first week in my project that was a nine-month project, and what I was going to do to try and make up the time and et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people were very mad at it. And I just said, here's, here's what I have to do. I'm not blaming anybody. Just this is what I'll have to do. 
I never said one word more to that man who did not like me. But somewhere along the line, he passed information far, far up the chain. And somewhere it hit the very top. And the top turned back around and came to me and said, if you ever have trouble with that man again, you let me know. Now, I never said a word. And I kept my mouth shut for a long time, praying that God would do something about this because it was really a stressful thing. But God did. I felt squashed down under. And at the right time, in the right day, in the right moment, God lifted me up and put the big guy in charge and said, here, this will work. Don't ever mess with that again. And I never didn't really have to say a word about it. If you do it over time, God chooses the right moment and picks you up if you wear humility. He will. He does it. Now, I worked with that man for seven or eight years. And it was not an easy seven or eight years. But near the, the end of that was when all this kind of came through. And uh, it was freeing not to be under anybody's thumb. Only under God's hand to say, okay, whatever you want, God, I'll do it. And once you could resign to that, all the stress was gone. You don't have to worry about it. God, you're going to have to take care of it because I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to try to be humble in all the ways I can. So how do you do it? Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Anxieties in your life, you throw them on God. Casting them, throwing them out, giving them to God. Don't stress over everything. You throw them on God by talking to him and saying, Hey, I'm really having trouble with this, God, right now. This is what I can't deal with, and I don't know any other way to deal with it, and you're the only one that can help me. I feel like I'm going to explode about this. And God says, I'll take it. Throw it on God and let him deal with it. Let him know about your family, your job, your finances, your marriage, the stresses with your enemies, your leaders, your country, the things that are happening at work, the people around you that just won't stop. Throw it on God and be free from the burden. The burden is what kills us because we think we got to carry it all. We think we got to hold it all. Peter says, you don't have to hold any of it. Throw it all on God. He can take it. And he will take it. And he wants to take it. He cares about you. And then beware. Verse number 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 
Satan is your enemy. And he is like that lion, okay? And it's a roaring lion. He may not have the ability, if you are God's person, if you are in God's family, he may not have the ability to touch you. But he sure wants to get you afraid. Anyway, he can get you afraid. If things are being ruled and run and reigned by fear, you can bet Satan's got his hand in it. Fear is not of God. I do not give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what God says. Don't be afraid of everything that comes. And there are some pretty frightening things in the world. And Satan has no good intentions for anybody. But he that is in us is much more powerful than he that is in the world. He's a roaring lion. So it says, resist him by faith. Steadfastly, consistently, keep resisting, keep working on it. He's wandering around looking for anybody he can knock down. Anybody. He doesn't care who. If he could take the whole United States down, if he could take the whole world down, he would. In any way he can think of. He wants God's people sitting curled up and afraid in the corner somewhere because then he doesn't have to worry about them. If a person that belongs to God steps out in faith, gives themselves to God, prays, brings God in their life and the spirit of God in their life, then he can't stop them. And he wants to. So lots of roar. Looking for someone that'll say, okay, I'm afraid, and he's going to come after them. Stop them dead in their tracks. Devour them by their own fear many times. God brings peace. Satan brings fear in things. He's looking to consume us. Verse number 10. But the, the God of all grace... Who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. After that you have suffered a while, make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, settle you. No, this is like his final home run that Peter hits in this book. You remember, he's been talking all about suffering and struggling and there's going to be hard things and there's Satan. He's going to come after you too. And you're going to have, be worried and you're going to have all these things you're going to be and you're going to be stubborn on top of it all. But guess what? Suffer for a little while because it's going to bring you something. Suffer for a little while. And he says, it's going to bring you a couple things. It's going to make you perfect. Now that doesn't mean you'll never do anything wrong. 
you're going to desire to live in a different way. Because the things that didn't matter melted away. He's going to establish you. Establish you, the old word. But establish is something we use. Establish you, which means like a tree. You get a little tree. And the roots don't have to work very hard. And the ground is wet all the time. They're very shallow. You go out into the swamp and great big red oak trees falling over. Because the roots are this deep. They're 100 feet high, the tree, with little tiny roots because they never had to work to get to the water. But God wants you to establish you, work, and then you find a tree up on a mountainside somewhere that had to work at getting through down to that water table. That's going to have deep, hard roots, and the wind's going to blow and blow and blow. It's going to break branches off, but the roots are established. They're going to hold that tree during the windstorm. It's going to hold. And that's what God wants for you. That's what suffering does. Creates a desire to be perfect, desire to do right. It establishes you. It strengthens you. Another thing, it gives you strength. The more you work through hard times and suffering, it gives you strength. And then this is great. It settles you. And I think that's the home run of this chapter. It settles you. Can't be shaken. In the midst of the toughest time, you sit down, you believe in God. My God will bring me through the hard times, the easy times. In fact, the easy times might worry me more because I get a little lazy and a little more willing to do the wrong thing than the hard times. If you are a settled person, there was a man named Polycarp. <clears throat> he lived during Roman times when the Romans were persecuting Christians. And he was a man who was 86 years old. And he had been a man that had stood for Christ. And they brought him into the arena where they were going to throw him to the lions. And they said, well... All you need to do is denounce Christ. And we won't throw you to the lions. And that 86-year-old Polycarp looked at him and said, 86 years I've been with God. I've been following God. Jesus Christ has never failed me yet. Throw me to the lions. And they did. That's a man that's settled. He's decided on what he's going to do in his life. It didn't matter what they did to him. There was another man, I remember reading a story behind the Iron Curtain in the, in the old Soviet Union. There was a lot of Christians that were persecuted. And they had taken this man in 
he had been in prison for a long time, and uh, he had been saying, I believe in God, believe in Christ, and he was preaching to the other prisoners, anybody he could get his hands on, basically, and they brought him in and said, you believe in Christ, but you should denounce him. And if you don't, I'm going to shoot you. And just to demean him, he had his prison clothes on that he'd been wearing. They said, we need you to take off your prison clothes because we don't want to waste a bullet in them. We'll give them to the next prisoner when I shoot you. And as calm as can be, this man started unbuttoning his shirt, laid it on the table, and said, if God gives you the power to shoot me, then I will die knowing that I love God and I know where I'll be. And if he doesn't give you the power to shoot me, you couldn't shoot me if you tried. See, it didn't matter whether they shot him or didn't shot him. He was settled. He was still. Nothing shook him. Those are the things and the places to be in our life. That's what Peter's talking about. Be settled. He said, suffer for a little while. You'll be a different person when you're done with that suffering. Then he wraps up the verses, last few verses. He's got a couple things I'd like to read just because there's some interesting things in them. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Always give the glory to God. That's the big thing. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. Okay, So somebody named Sylvanus must have known some of these people that he brought the letter up to. Got in touch with Peter. Peter writes it with him and he tells Peter about these people and he he says, these people are, you know, this guy lives up here, and this guy's spread over here. These people believe in God, but they need some help. They're having a tough time. And Peter said, your, your friend Sylvanus came in, and I wrote this so he could take it back. Verse number uh, 13. The church that is at Babylon elected together with you. Salute you. The church in Babylon that knows you, some of the people there, tell you, keep going. Don't give up. He salutes you. Say, hey, we remember you. We know we're not going to get to see you. Keep going. Verse, uh, in verse 13, with you saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Marcus is a famous guy that you just happen to know because he wrote one of the Gospels, Book of Mark. Okay, So John Mark was a relative of Peter. Okay, And he was an eyewitness to many of the things that happened hanging around with, with Peter and Jesus and his disciples. So Mark salutes you too. Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Come, help each other, care for each other, love each other. That's what's going to help you.
you're going to have hard times. Think about the person next to you. Take care of them. Probably going to give an account for those people around you that got taken care of. Live for another world. Don't live for this world. And it's hard to think about all the time. But it's the best way to think. Live through suffering. Learn to be perfect. Be established, strengthened, and settled in your life. Care, take care for what we say, wear humility. So many things. Peter packs them all in this little letter and says, here's what you're going to need in your life. I wrote it down in a few small chapters. Think about this. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. And that's the message of First Peter. There's a lot packed in there, a lot to think about. Think about our leaders. Think about ourselves and the humility we need. Think about our sufferings and so many more things. It's a great message from Peter. We're glad that he wrote it down. We're glad he took the time to do it and that he listened to God so that we can do the same. Listen to God in our lives. Thank you very much. Have a good day.